All things automotive with the petrol head, Nico Smith. Nico! Hello, Michelle. How are you today? Are you on the couch with a cup of coffee? Yeah, well, co- coffee done on the co- now with a cup of water, but I'm going to make a coffee again in a bit. I've already had the first one. <laughs> so now, so, what happens when you have a power failure? How do you make your coffee? No, that's frustrating, and I wait. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, so so we, we started with some bad news. Yeah. Um, next year, Kalami is not going to be on the is not on the Formula One calendar. So Formula One have released the calendar. And uh, Lamborghini, um, uh, Kailami is not on the calendar for next year. So um, maybe for the year after, but um, yeah, it looks like we should hold. We, we, the, the, eventually the talks fell through or they didn't really uh, reach a conclusion. So next year, no, no Kailami, but hopefully the year after. Oh, so we're all feeling a little depressed at that, are we? That's so okay. That's we, got okay. Too, That's okay. we got too enthusiastic and now we've been slapped down again. <laughs> no, let's get enthusiastic again. So, um, and in the 19, I think it's the 1990s, Mercedes-Benz decided that they don't only want to sell cars, they also want to concentrate on maybe adding an SUV to their range. So they in, uh, added the ML. I don't know if you remember the Mercedes-Benz ML. I'm sure a lot of people are still driving those. Well, there's a lot of them around still. So Mercedes-Benz added an SUV to the range of cars. Be- mm. Before that, SUVs weren't really... Um, you had Mitsubishi Pajero, which I think was doing okay, but it wasn't really as mainstream worldwide. Um, it, but it started then growing. So then BMW added, of course, X5. Um, then Audi and, uh, added Q7, and Volkswagen had a Touareg, and Porsche, of course, added in 2002 the Cayenne. Um, so as sort of this market grew, more manufacturers started adding SUVs. Um, if you look at um, even Lamborghini now have an Urus and uh, Rolls-Royce and Bentley have the Cullinan and the Bentayga. Um, and now Ferrari has decided, okay, well, it's their time as well. So they've now also added their first SUV. Um, and you need to maybe help me with the, the the pronunciation of that. I sent you a link. I don't know if you can help me to pronounce the word. Purusang. Is that Purusang? Would that be I the right way to the say it? I think it's the Purusang. Yeah. Yeah. I could be yeah, wrong. Purusang. Yeah, no, no, exactly. So I'm battling with the pronunciation of it a little bit. Jeez, I but mean, this now, car, you have to pay so much money for this car, but you, they don't even give you a name that you can pronounce. <laughs> exactly. What's the story? Why not just uh, <laughs> like the LaFerrari? So um, effectively, it's uh, their take on an SUV. Yeah. Although to me, it looks sort of in between, more in between a, a sports car and an SUV. Yeah. Um, but definitely a gorgeous looking thing. Um, uh, it's really, really freaking gorgeous looking, I'll admit to that, sure. Yeah, it really is, is, is quite beautiful. Um, and it's a four-seater, so two in the front and two in the back. Yeah. Um, what's interesting is that um, it, it has suicide doors. Do you know what suicide doors are? No freaking idea. You actually know, you just didn't know that's the name. You know the doors that open the wrong way. So the front, front doors open like a normal car's front doors, but the rear doors are hinged at the back, so they open up the wrong way. Um, that's referred to as a suicide door. Well, so, I really uh, hate that idea that it's called a suicide. Why is it called a suicide door? Well, I think it's just uh, dangerous because if you open up the door, um, I, I don't know if the wind can take it out or it's dangerous when you're climbing out and cars are coming, but that's really what they refer to um, <laughs> when they are opening up the wrong way. Um, I think it's just about design and space and, and of course, um, um, where you have to hinge the doors, um, it has to be quite strong. 
So, you know, if you then consider the design and, and what they want to achieve with the body and whatever their design reason is, um, it's a, a good-looking car. Engine-wise, um, it has a naturally aspirated 6.5-liter V12 engine. So that's interesting that they haven't gone the route of a turbocharged engine. So still a V12. Um, and um, I think another important thing about this V12 engine is it sits behind the rear, uh, the front wheel. V12 engine. V12 engine. But you know what? With a big, the, the problem always with a big engine like a V12, it affects the, the handling normally negatively because it's a big weight at the front. So you can imagine if you have a big weight at the front and you turn the front wheels, that weight just will want to make you go forward. If you have a big weight at the back and you turn the front wheels, the, the back will want to overtake the front. So they've overcome that by actually putting it way behind the front axle. In other words, they talk about a front mid-mounted engine. So um, engine, although it's in the front, it's actually mid-mounted. Um, and I guess that's also going to, A, it will improve the handling of the Perusang. Um, it develops 650 kilowatts and 760 newton meters of torque. Nor to 100 for your Ferrari SUV is 3.3 seconds. 3.3 seconds. Yeah. So uh, we we thought we should just um, give people a bit of a taste of like that like glorious sound of a V12. Here we go. Ferrari. <laughs> wow. wow. You got to admit really that's good. sounding good. And apparently Puro Sang actually means thoroughbred, which makes a lot of like sense as well. I want oh. to I, I want to just go back to for a moment. We we're gonna talk this car and if anybody would like to chat to Nico, now's the time to start SMSing your questions, WhatsApping your questions on 0614104107. Any car questions that you have for the guy, now's the time to do it. So Nick, I want to tell you a story about a suicide door. I know someone who had normal doors on their car. But they turned them into suicide doors by mistake, because <laughs> by mistake. Because I think they were what was happening is they were driving their car out of the garage, and then by mistake they left the door open, and then the door got caught on a tree, and it like, yeah, you can just imagine as he was driving out, 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 door gets caught on a tree. And then the door just changes shape altogether. Oh, I, you know what? I, I did that to our. So we had a blue. Um, yeah, it was I think a seventies Datsun two eighty. Um, so we had a, a two uh, eighty Datsun okay. um, when I was growing up, and I did the same to my to my dad. So I left the door open, and he reversed out of the garage. Yeah. Um, with the door still open, so I also actually did the same thing. Surprisingly, I didn't get a hiding, which is really interesting. So what but, happened? Did um, the door just bend shape completely and become a suicide yeah, door? Exa- yeah, exactly. It bent the other way. Those old cars, I think, were, in, to an extent, certain ways, they were quite tough because the doors were normally... On the old cars, um, the, the manufacturers really... Um, uh, the metal was uh, thick and, and, and the, the cars on the outside were quite strong. So yeah. um, what happened is that those doors could literally... And I remember the door being bent backwards and, and my and dad not really... Sound. He wasn't very happy with me. But actually, they were able to. They were. Yeah, it was able to fix it. Although I think fifty percent is his fault because he should have had a look as he reversed out. He's listening now, so I'm sure I'm going to hear, hear about it. 
<laughs> but, but, I, but our our blue Dutton uh, two eighty um, actually, I also did exactly the same thing. Um, left the door open as you as you reverse under the garage. That's definitely part of our heritage, hey. Like if you talk about heritage cars, a Datsun has to be a, a, one of those heritage cars. I'm also thinking of Chevrolet, Brightless, Rugby, Sunny Skies, and Chevrolet. I'm thinking about the big Valiant. Remember the big valiants. Um, I'm trying to yes, think of the cars yes. that are part of our heritage. Toyota, uh, well, you would always say uh, a Cressida, um, Toyota Cressida, and Corolla, and it has. But um, so there's there, cars in South Africa that have been really popular, but there's also been special South African versions of cars. So yeah. if you look look at BMW, um, they the um, of course had uh, yeah exactly that manufacturing year. So the 325RS is a very specific South African made car only. It was only for the South African market, the 325IS. Um, and the same with the, uh, the 333i. Um, specifically, um, BMW trying to get the biggest motor they could in, under the bonnet. And yeah. with the 333i, you had a choice of either having power steering or air conditioner, uh, but you could have both because they couldn't fit both under the bonnet. <laughs> um, and of course, the Ford XR8 was a, a, a specific um, um, South African um, car, yeah. so specifically built only for the South African market. So, so there was always um, some cars that really um, were specific South African cars only for our market because um, we couldn't import the uh, M3s, for instance. That's why the Triple Three R was was made. And then, as you said, there are, are, are specific iconic cars. Um, like um, um, I was talking to Dosh and saying, you know, David Kramer and the, those combi ads. Oh, um, you know, of course, really yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, th- those are all very specific um, South African, and then of course, red, yellow, blue, um, the city golf, the city golf, so, yeah, yeah, and again, very South African because um, uh, folks wasn't saw the opportunity they had launched the, the golf too, but um, we needed a, an entry level car on the market, and um, the colors, of course, refer back to the Bauhaus that had this red, yellow, you know, the Bauhaus, which is an architectural movement, um, and red, yellow, blue. So there's a bit of um, um, Pink Mondrian in the, 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 I think, the design. I don't know if that was on purpose. Um, yeah, so I remember City Gold, you know, red, yellow, blue, City Gold. Okay, we're going to come back to the, the purebred, the thoroughbred in a moment, but we just got this voice message for you, which we want to go through. Okay, we'll have to do that one again. Well, sorry, we'll do we'll do that again for you. We can't start at that uh, in the middle of the thing. Let's go. Uh, please, a quick question. Um, the doors that goes at the other side is called seaside door. What about those that goes up? You know, there are certain cars that when you open the doors, it flips and goes up. Then you enter in, then then you pull it down. How do you call that one also? And lastly, if you are able to modify, let's say, a cherry kill kill those most cars, if you're able to modify it to make space, is it possible to put a V8 engine in that? It's Bramoro in Bloemfontein. <laughs> Bramoro always comes up with these great questions. So first of all, good one. We've got the suicide door, which opens up the opposite way to a normal door. But what about um, a door that opens upwards, you know, like... Do you, do you know what it's called? No, frick, I don't know. Of course you'll know. Um, if I tell you, you go, oh, I know. Mercedes-Benz had a car like that. Um, Wings. Wing door. No, it's called a gull wing door. Well, how close is that? It's a gull wing door is pretty close to wing door, isn't it? Yeah, so exactly. So it, it's a, a gull wing. It's referred to as a gull wing when it opens up on the roof. What was the question? What, what car did you, um, did you ask? So- so you're oh, yeah. saying, can he pull and put a different um, engine into a car? Um, could you like put a big engine into a small car, for example? 
Well, it, it's all about um, the way the engine is mounted and the amount of space that you have. Yeah. So um, in, in, in smaller cars, the engine is mounted transversely. So if you look at the small little front wheel drive car, that's most small cars, the engine is fit, uh, is, is fit in sideways. Um, if you have a bigger car, the engine is fitting longitudinally, which is lengthwise. So if it's transverse or sideways, there's not a lot of space. Mm. You could probably um, 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 fit um, that in, although I have seen people fitting you know, performance um, engines into small cars or Hayabusa motorbike engines into minis. If you talk about another iconic, now that I think of it, South African version was the Combi. didn't have a very powerful engine. So yeah. people used to put a V6 SX, so a Ford V6, uh, it was the SX engine, that used to put that V6 uh, um, Ford engine into the car. Okay, Nico, are you there? We're going to go to a break and uh, we're just going to check your line again because it's seeming a little bit crackly up. So we'll go to the break and when we come back from the break, uh, hopefully it'll be a little clearer. Michelle Constant on SAFM. You are with SAFM 104-107. We're chatting to Nico, our petrol head, and you're welcome to call in. You can also WhatsApp us or SMS us with any of your questions or comments. Nico, something that you said a little earlier which struck me was you talked about putting a motorcycle engine into a small car. And I was thinking of those tiny little minis that were made. I saw one the other day, which is literally... The size of, size of my cell phone, it's so tiny. <laughs> um, but the really small, old, old minis. Are those the kinds of cars that you would maybe put a, a motorbike engine in? Yes, um, that's exactly that. So the mini is small, and again, you, you mounted the engine. Um, you know, there's not a lot of space for no. where the engine is mounted. So um, if you take a Hayabusa, which is a performance motorbike, I know that people fit it, uh, you know, as an example, a Hayabusa motorbike engine into that Mini. And the Mini weighs nothing, and now you have a high-performance motorbike engine. You get yourself quite a fast little Mini. I, of course, you don't want to crash this thing. There's no crash safety at all in that thing. It's actually quite a scary little car if you think about it. But you have a, because the Mini is so light and fast, you get an extremely fast little car. So modifications are always going to be done, um, and, and people are always... Um, I think I don't know if I want to say they want to entertain themselves by taking a car and making it quite quick. And um, there's an example in the UK where the guys took a like a delivery truck um, and they put a Formula One engine into it. So um, you can imagine what that looks like. So and how fast that goes and what it sounds like. So here you've got I think it was a Ford <laughs> a Ford delivery truck, but they put a Formula One engine into it. So um, people are always going to do that, and I think it's part of sort of. The, the car, the motor industry or the car thing is that you want to make your car faster by modifying it and seeing what size engine you could fit into there. So um, um, sometimes manufacturers do that. Renault did it with the Renault Clio. So the Renault Clio has a, a, a transverse mounted um, space, in other words, you put the engine sideways. Mm. There wasn't a lot, so in other words, you can get a 2DT in there. There wasn't a lot of space. But what they did with the Clio is they put a V6 in the back where the passengers would sit. So literally, uh, it was mid-mounted V6 in the back so they could fit a V6 into the Renault Clio. So uh, even car manufacturers um, would do that. A lot of the time, it could even be for racing because if you look at, let's say, the 1980s, um, there was, the racing was referred to as Group B Rally. Um, and Group B, so B for Bravo, was really like Formula One on gravel. These cars were, uh, more to 100 on gravel was uh, less than three seconds. So they were extremely oh. fast. And, and, how and they're skidding all over the place. Exactly. So how would it work is if you wanted to race, you had to homologate, I think, 300 cars. In other words, 
you had to sell 300 cars uh, to the public, and then you could race the car. So what the manufacturers would do is they would build their race car, make 300 road versions of that race car, sell them off, and then they could race the car. So they literally made road, car, road versions of their race car so they could race that car. Because, of course, the prestige in winning racing is was really worthwhile. So if you want to ever see good racing, uh, just search for Group B Rally. Um, and uh, there were some Im- amazing, um, weird, and, and of course, very fast cars in Group B Rally. I'm just thinking about what you were saying about um, uh, dr- uh, driving racing on, on gravel. And a little bit earlier, I mentioned the Gushesh when we were talking about the BMW. That, of course, is a very specific car. And I'm wondering, why would they use that particular BMW and not others? What was it about that particular car? And what is it about that particular car that you can go and do all those amazing, amazing stunts? I mean, we once did that doc- uh, followed that documentary about those incredible people, young women, and she's doing absolutely brilliant, brilliant stuff. Uh, swinging out of the windows and over the oh, roof and yeah, just that, all over the ground. Scary, yeah, those things scare me. If I'm, as, as I'm honest, if I watch that or see those things, I'm totally scared. Um, that's like your safety-wise. It, it, but I, it's, it's a sport and it, well, people doing it and it's, uh, you know, it's for entertainment. Yeah. So the idea with the 325i is, is that we couldn't have the M3 in South Africa. Um, uh, so, and in any segment, you want a performance car. So like in, in the 3 Series, the idea was how can we get the best performance out of the 325? And that's effectively where the, the I is, was a 2.7-liter um, performance car. So it was literally um, what today would be an M3. That's what the 325 I is was at the time. For, but it was, again, for South Africa's market only. Um, I think it, so it was during the 80s, and we were limited to what engines and what technology would, could, you know, could come into South Africa. And, of course, then people saw the potential of those cars, but if you really want to make money, if you have one that is in original condition, those things are worth a lot. Because a lot of people, of course, bought these cars and modified them for street racing and drifting and, uh, and all those type of things, which makes the ones that are what we refer to as mint or original um, very, very valuable because there's not a lot of them around. So if you've got one uh, around, I think the people that have C25 ISs that are original know that they're worth a lot, um, uh, easily more than a million rand. Sure. Sure. So you want, you want to have fun, you better be, have the money to have the fun with. Yeah, well, you either have the fun when you're modifying the car, but even because they're so popular, um, uh, you know, even if you have one that's modified, um, they're still going to be expensive. But the ones that are in mint condition, it should be over a million rand. This is my guess. Mm. This is my estimation. You know, this is just my opinion. We maybe so, we um, maybe need to try and get. I remember we chatted to one of the drivers of them of a Gutesh, and it was just something else, man. It was just yeah, absolutely insane. Nico, um, when we talk about a million rand to to update and graduate a car, so to speak, what about your purebred thoroughbred Ferrari? Well, well, the thing is, um, it's not launched in South Africa yet, um, and. Um, but you can just if you just search the name, you, you're going to find, or you go go to Ferrari's website to have a look at it. You can actually customize it on Ferrari's website, so you can play around and choose your own colors and your own interior. Um, in um, I had a look at a website that said the estimated prices or the starting price is around about three hundred and ninety thousand euros. So just the conversion alone is about six point seven million rands without forty percent import tax. So you're probably looking at about a nine or ten million rand car, and that's what the Ferrari SUV <laughs> would set you back. <laughs> so um, it's not for all of us. 
Um, <laughs> only the really um, uh, well, um, um, what's the right word? Um, people that are doing, doing quite well, okay for the sell, themselves that will be able to buy this car. But I think um, you, if you look at how the success of SUVs, for, for instance, Porsche, how many SUVs they sell, yeah. there's definitely an opportunity worldwide. And I think the car will be popular. And it's going to definitely, not that Ferrari are, are really uh, uh, or battling with sales because it's quite specialized, but it's going to, um, I think it, this car is going to be popular worldwide because the SUV market, and especially the performance market is extremely popular. So well, I think I, it's, it's going to do well. I think it's going to do well for some people. The rest of us will just <laughs> yeah, be looking for, at it and just all of us. checking it out <laughs> and wondering about it. Sounds like a good one. So, um, okay, that sounds fabulous, Nico. Have you got power at the moment? Yes, I had. Um, um, power was out, um, I think, 12, 12 to 2, and then uh, 8 to 12. So, uh. <sighs> but we're making a plan. We're still going to have a lovely day. It's comes of food. We're still going to have a great day. They're not going to spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you have a good one, Nico, and uh, keep us in the loop. This car sounds absolutely brilliant. 